Uh, we're going to continue our series. We're in week seven. Next week we'll finish up our series called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came on the scene. Uh, John the Baptist prepared the way by preaching the message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Basically saying, God's about to do something cool, so get your heart right. You'll get to be part of it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John was put in prison. Jesus continued that message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he did miracle after miracle, amazing things, drew huge crowds. And then after he had gotten their attention through the miracles, he began to teach them. And that's where we get the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus brings uh, the church from the Old Testament Mosaic Law era into the New Testament New Covenant. And so that's what we've been covering for the last several weeks. We'll continue along those lines. Uh, I'm not going to do a recap of each week. If you want to get back sermons, goodhope.ag has all the audio recordings. But last week we talked about Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And uh, the important, important message where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here what Jesus is saying is that the way that we share mercy with others, the way that we shower grace upon others, is the way that God will do the same to us. So if we are merciful, if we are gracious, if we are kind and forgiving, then we can expect God to return that to us. However, if we are not, if we are judgmental, if we are condescending, if we are uh, not generous with people, then we can expect that to be returned to us. Very important concept. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So Jesus is saying, you got all these issues, but all you focus on is other people's problems. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, while at the same time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he's saying, first deal with yourself. First look at your own issues. Then you'll be able to grow and learn and understand how to help others without doing damage to them. But until then, deal with yourself. And this typifies what I consider to be possibly the greatest practical failure of Christianity. So as far as leaving out our faith... I think possibly the greatest practical failure of Christianity is when we point out other people's faults while ignoring our own. When we live our life pointing out other people's faults and ignoring our own, we are really, really far away from living out the gospel. And so we want to be introspective, look at ourselves, deal with our issues. We grow, we learn, then our lives get better. And we can actually make a difference instead of just making a fuss. Too many Christians are stuck making a fuss and they can't make a difference. When we grow, we learn, we, we get the plank out of our own eye, then we can actually make a difference rather than just making a fuss. So that was last week. This week, ask, seek, and knock. Let's pray. We'll get into new material this morning. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each one that's here. I thank you, Lord, that you have things you want to do in our hearts, each one of us. 
And so, Father, I, I pray that uh, by your spirit, you would teach, you would just touch each one of us with what we need this morning. All of us are dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle. We're going through uh, just different stuff. And so we need a different touch from you. But again, I pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need so that we can believe in you better, trust you better, walk in your ways better, and just take a a step forward this morning in serving you. So bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Ask, seek, and knock. We'll be reading some verses here that changed my life. In 1988, I read Matthew 7, 7, and 8, and... My life has not been the same, and I've told that story other times. I'm not going to tell it today because we're going to dig into some other things, but uh, these are verses that I read and believed, and it changed my life. Matthew 7, 7, uh, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus is saying that God is waiting for you. God has something for you. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. It's, uh, it's like God is got the the party prepared for us and he's just looking to see, waiting for that knock on the door to open the door and let us in. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened. And then verse 9, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? No, we wouldn't do that. Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So what Jesus is saying is He's saying, compare the character of God with the character of a parent on earth. Parents on earth love their kids and they do good things for their kids. How much more would God in heaven, your heavenly Father, do good things for you? His character is stronger. He is more loving, more gracious, more kind, more forgiving, and He wants to do good things for us. So Jesus gives the promise, and it's a command at the same time. Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened. And then He talks about God's character. He will surely do this. Now God is good. And all the time, amen. So if God is good all the time, and if we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, the door will be opened. If that's all true, then how come the prayer meetings aren't the busiest thing that's going on in church? Isn't that a good question? So that's kind of what we're going to dig into this morning, is how come it isn't Uh, It isn't just all working exactly how we would expect when we read these verses and we know God is good. And it's a fairly simple answer, I think. And that is, have you ever asked for something from God and didn't get it? That kind of cuts the enthusiasm. 
Have you ever sought after something and it didn't come to pass? You didn't, you know, you knock on the door, you feel like your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, dropping back on you. So sometimes the, the thing gets gummed up and it doesn't work right. And then we get discouraged and we do things that are simpler. You know? And so what's going on? What's happening? What is, what is hindering our capacity to ask, to seek, to knock? What is causing this problem in our relationship with God? And so we're going to look at three examples of hindrances to receiving, uh, receiving good things from God. And then we're going to look at three situations or scenarios where asking, seeking, and knocking are appropriate and need to happen and how those things go differently. So let's look at hindrances to prayer. Hindrances to receiving from God first. The first hindrance is simply lack of faith. James 1 verse 5. A fantastic promise in the scriptures. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. He gives generously to all, without finding fault. Anybody ever lack wisdom? Like, God, I'm not sure what to do. Help me understand what I need to do. Help me see through this fog so that I can have the wisdom to know how to live the way you want me to live, to make the decisions you want me to make, to just see it and be able to do it. Give me wisdom. Does God want to give us wisdom? For sure. And he's not even going to make fun of us in the middle of it. Who gives generously without finding fault. When we need wisdom and we don't know what's going on, it's because we don't understand and he's not going to be like you moron you should haven't you figured that out yet you know he's going to give generously without finding fault so we can go to a gracious god who will help us even though we probably should know better doesn't that sound awesome then there's the next couple verses verse six and seven are very different let's keep reading verse six But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Okay, so we've got God gives generously to all without finding fault. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And then, but unless you're like that, then you shouldn't expect anything from God at all. Okay, yeah, I like the first scenario better than the second. I like, you know, here's God's got a plan. He's got these things he wants to do for us. We ask and he gives and it's just wonderful. But then, of course, there's the hindrance of doubt, the hindrance of lack of faith. Faith is the thing that connects us to the power of God. There are things that God wants to do and we need to Take and grab a hold of those things by faith. If we don't grab them by faith, they just stay over there and we don't connect with the great promises of God. So we must have faith. Faith is a lot like self-confidence. You know how self-confidence is the thing that connects you with your full potential. 
If you are self-confident, you can step into your full potential. If you're not self-confident, you're going to not try as hard as you should. You're not going to grab hold of the fullness of what you can do. And so you'll never grab your full potential if you're insecure and not self-confident. Now, self-confidence doesn't get you past your potential, but it gets you to your potential. And faith in God gets us to the things God has for us. It gets us to what he's got planned for us. It doesn't get us other things, but it gets us the things God has for us. So we must uh, have faith to receive the good things of God. So if we have a lack of faith, doubt, then we are going to not be able to apprehend the great promises of God. Now, faith is more than just really, 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 really wanting God to do something. Have you ever really, 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 really wanted God to do something? And then he didn't do it? That's not faith. It's just really, 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 really wanting God to do something. Now, when God doesn't do that thing, it can break our hearts. And it can be painful. But faith is trusting in God's plan, God's promises. Sometimes we want things that aren't God's plan. That's not faith. It's just really, 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 really wanting something. Lack of faith can be a hindrance to receiving from God. Selfishness can also be a hindrance to receiving from God. Let's go to James 4, 1 through 3. James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Are there fights and quarrels among people? Are Christians immune to fights and quarrels? No. And apparently they were rather nasty back then. Because this is this is some amazing stuff in these verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't there this ugly thing in you that wants to crush other people? That wants to take things for yourself? And that causes fights and quarrels? Verse 2. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Every time I read this, I pause. You kill and covet. Who are they killing? You kill and covet? How'd you like to pastor that congregation? I mean, you guys are awesome. Well, there went another one. I mean, like, you see, we think it's stressful now. You kill? You kill and covet, you cannot have what you want, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But we're going to focus on verse 3 right now. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When you ask, so they've got an asking problem, they don't ask when they should, But when they do ask, they're asking for selfish things. They're not asking for the advancement of God's kingdom. They're not asking for wisdom to see how to live a more godly life. They're asking for selfish things. And so they do not receive because they are asking with wrong motives. They are trying to get the evil desires in their heart met. They're asking with wrong motives, with selfish motives. So this is another hindrance to receiving from God. You can ask but not receive because you ask with wrong motives, selfish motives. And so lack of faith will stop us from connecting with the things of God and receiving the things of God. And then selfishness will stop us from receiving 
good things from God. And then the third example of hindrances to receiving from God is bad relationships. 1 Peter 3, 7. Very interesting verse here. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So what Peter is saying here is that maybe your problem with connecting with God in prayer is because you're not treating your wife right. Isn't that interesting? A specific reference to husbands treating their wives with respect or their prayers would be hindered. So many times we see prayer and relationships with people kind of near each other in different verses. Jesus is talking about how to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, giving the Lord's Prayer. And then at the very end, he says, and make sure you forgive everybody. So unforgiveness, bad relationships, treating people poorly can hinder our prayers. And it's not that surprising when we think that how, we'll, how we judge others will be how God treats us. The measure we use is how it will be measured to us. And so if I'm unkind and I'm holding back from others and I'm holding grudges against them and then I want God to be open to me, how is that going to work? It's not how it goes. It's a hindrance to our prayers. So we see three rather significant potential hindrances that can mess up the ask, seek, and knock situation, which is so beautiful and so wonderful. And those things are lack of faith, selfishness, and bad relationships. And so we want to have godly relationships. We want to release ourselves to God, give ourselves to the Lord, and then we want to trust in God fully, and we can grab hold of the great promises of God. And so now let's look at three important scenarios where people uh, should ask, seek, and knock. Or where this comes up. I'm I'm trying to come up with the right words here. You'd think I'd be able to do it the third time around. But uh, three scenarios, three situations that involve asking, seeking, and knocking. There's a preliminary concept before we talk about these things, which is very, very important. And that is simply this. God has a plan. Did you know God has a plan? (coughs) He's got a plan for history. You know, the, the Revelation class will talk about some of the things that God had planned from the beginning of time to have come to pass at the end. God has a plan for this planet, for humanity, for history. God has a plan. God also has a plan for you individually. He's got a plan for your life. And This might be an important news flash. People don't always cooperate with God's plan. Some people think that God's plan just magically happens because it's God. He's got a plan. It's going to happen. You'll see that's not the case as we look through some of these next scriptures that we're going to go through. But it's very important to understand God has a plan. He's got a plan for history. He's got a plan for you. If you're unaware of that, then you're not going to see things the right way. God has a plan for history. He's got a plan for you. And so, understanding that God has a plan, let's look at 
three situations that involve asking, seeking, and knocking. The first situation is when people ask, seek, and knock contrary to God's plan. We can ask God for things that are not part of His plan. How do you think that's going to go? Not so great. There are situations, for example, like in, in uh, James, where people are asking for selfish things. They're asking for things contrary to God's plan. And so they don't receive. Then there are situations where we're in the middle of God's plan, but we don't ask for the thing that's in God's plan. So if we're in line with God's plan, but we don't ask, that's also going to create some problems. And then the third situation is when we are in line with God's plan and we ask and we seek and we knock. Then things get really good. So three situations. Asking out of line with God's plan. Being in line with God's plan but failing to ask. And then being in line with God's plan and asking for God to bring His part into the situation. So let's look at some scriptures that relate to these three situations. First one again, when we ask for something contrary to God's plan. Now there are the obvious things that are contrary to God's plan. Like those selfish things, you know, we want, you know, God to make our little sister sick because we don't like her or whatever. Well, God's not going to do that. He's not that kind of a God, you know, that's contrary to God's plan. So you got to not pray for things like that. But then there are situations that maybe are in those gray areas, right? Like, is this God's plan or not? Let's look at three, let's look at three situations with absolutely important people that weren't exactly sure what God's plan was. Let's talk about Paul's thorn. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. So Paul, (laughs) Paul, you know, Paul used to be the man when he was Saul. Then he took the name Paul, which means small. And so he's the apostle small. Because he was the big man. And now he's just going to be small. He's just going to be Paul. He's not going to be the big man anymore. And however, (laughs) uh, you can see his tendency toward being the big man. Because he's like, you know, God has shown me these surpassingly great revelations, which makes me so much better than all of you people. uh, Except that then there's this thorn in my flesh that keeps me from becoming conceited. And he says it's a messenger of Satan to torment him. Would you think God would want to get rid of messengers from Satan that torment us? I would be in favor of praying against that thing up here in the front. What happens? Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So this is Paul. He's good at praying. He's very good at it. He's seen incredible miracles. And he's he's not just asking, he's pleading three times. 
Verse 9. But he said to me, so God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what's the answer Paul got when he asked for the thorn to be taken away? The answer was no. I'm sorry, this is not part of my plan. You're keeping the thorn. Okay. Paul continues, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew there were things he couldn't do that God was doing. His weakness showed God's strength. And this thorn was part of that weakness. And so it helped him not be conceited. It helped him be the apostle small. And he was able to be thankful for his weaknesses because it showed God's strength. Because God's grace was sufficient for him. So when he was asking for the thorn to be taken away, he was actually asking for something contrary to God's plan. Then let's look in James and John's request. Matthew chapter 20. James and John, two of the twelve disciples, bring their mom to Jesus to ask a favor. You know, at least do it yourself. But here we go. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So, so just a small request. Make my two boys your number one and your number two. All right? Jesus, Alpha and Omega. Make them the one and the two. Okay, so this would be an example of asking a selfish thing, right? It is good to ask for God to advance us in the faith, advance us to a new place where we can serve God more effectively. Um, But here's what Jesus has to say to this. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can. They didn't know what they were agreeing to on that one. So they answered that. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So they were asking for something contrary to God's plan. They weren't going to get it. There was already a plan. There's people that are picked. You know, ask God to bring you to the place he wants you to get to. Not to some place he's prepared for someone else. They were asking contrary to God's plan. And the last example that we're going to look at here is at Gethsemane, Matthew 26, the day before the crucifixion. Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, those two, same two guys, And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. And he really, 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 really wanted God to do something. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
So Jesus prays to not have to go to the cross because he understands what it means. He's fully aware of what he's going to have to suffer both physically and spiritually. And he's asking if God might find another way. God's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. Oh God, take this cup away. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. That's the key. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. This is a tragic situation. Jesus in his greatest hour of need. They don't, they don't feel the gravity of the moment. They just fall asleep. It's the middle of the night, but still. They didn't realize what Jesus was going through and what he was going to go through. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So if they were able to watch and pray, they would have responded to this whole situation very differently. But instead, they fell asleep. And when the, when the crisis came, they just ran. Peter denied the Lord. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. See the flavor change there? I really, really, really want you to do this. But if it's not your will, the second time, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, may your will be done. Very different. Jesus prayed three times, just like Paul prayed three times. What was the answer God gave to Jesus when he asked to not have to go to the cross? No, you're going. This is the deal. You're going. And then God gave him the strength to go through it. God didn't take away the trial, but he gave Jesus the strength to walk through it and have the victory in the midst of it. So when we are asking, when we are seeking, when we are knocking, we need to be sure that we're asking in accordance with God's will, in accordance with God's plan. Because if we're out of line with God's plan, then the answer is going to be no. Second scenario, when we are in line with God's plan, but we fail to ask. James 4.2, again, let's read the last sentence in James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask God. Why did they not have? Because they didn't ask God. The implication there is if they had asked God, they would have. Of course, with the right motive. So there were things that God was ready to do, but they didn't ask, so they didn't get them. Then let's look at Matthew 7, 8. Well, Matthew 7, 8 says this. For everyone who asks receives. What about the ones who don't ask? He who seeks finds. What about those who don't seek? To him who knocks, the door will be opened. What about those who don't knock? The clear implication is that we are required to do something. We are expected to ask. We are expected to seek. We are expected to knock. If we just are happily going about our life thinking, well, God's going to take care of everything because he's sovereign and he does whatever he wants and so it's all good. And then we don't do any asking and seeking and knocking. We're not going to receive. One more verse, Matthew 6, 8. Matthew 6, 8. 
Jesus was teaching about prayer earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so he says, talking about people babbling in prayer on and on. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. What's the picture of that? Your father knows what you need before you ask. That means he knows what you need. He's got the answer. He's waiting for you to ask. And then if we walk by without asking, we don't receive. What have people left on the table that if they had only asked, they could have received from God? Let me tell you, salvation itself is available for the asking. But you have to ask. Forgiveness of sins is available for the asking. But you have to ask. And there are many other things in our relationship with God, many other parts of the power of God in our lives that if we ask, God's ready to give to us. But if we don't ask, we miss it. Let's be people who ask. And then the third situation is when we ask for things that are in line with God's plan. And that's where it starts to get fun. All right? Let's go to 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 15. 1 John 5, 13. This is John, one of Zebedee's sons. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's very nice to know that you have eternal life. Not to sort of hope that maybe God's going to be okay with you, but that you know you have eternal life. Very important. That's why John is writing so that they can know. And verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. This is the John who is there asking for the number one position, having his mom ask Jesus for the number one position, and it wasn't according to God's will, and he was refused. And so he says that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And verse 15, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Is it God's will that you be forgiven and given eternal life? Yes. So you can ask him and you know you have it. Is it God's will that you win the lottery? Probably not. But we we know it's God's will. We're in line with God's will and we ask for God's will. Then we know that we have it. And so we can have confidence in salvation. We can have confidence in the good things of God. Let's read one more before we close, and then we'll have the closing scripture. John 14, 12 through 14. Very important thing here. Again, this is John. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will... This is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You notice how we pray in Jesus' name. Those aren't just magic words at the end of a prayer that makes God have to do it. 
When you're praying in Jesus' name, you're saying, I am praying in accordance with God's will and God's plan. I am praying a prayer that fits with God's plan. It's in Jesus' name. This is what God wants. This is what Jesus wants. It's in his name. So we can't pray a rebellious, selfish prayer in Jesus' name. We can use those words, but we'll be missing it. And so in his name is according to his will in line with God's plan. So if we ask for anything in his name, he'll do it. So if we ask and we seek and we knock in accordance with God's plan, in accordance with God's will, we can receive. And when we line ourselves up with God's plan, man, we can get some awesome, awesome things. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here with Psalm 37. Then we're going to have some time for personal prayer. When it's time for personal prayer, come up, get prayer. Today's a good day to get prayer. We're talking about asking and seeking and knocking. Good day for prayer. Psalm 37, 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many people have heard that God will give you the desires of your heart? So this has been talked about. It's kind of a common scripture verse. But here's the whole thing from Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it begins with delighting yourself in the Lord. The first step is to delight in the Lord, to connect with him, to love, worship, and adore God. Adore and love God's ways. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I am convinced that there are two very important ways to understand this verse. That God will give you the desires of your heart in two very distinct ways. First way God will give you the desires of your heart is the evil desires, the selfish desires, the darkness in our hearts will be pushed out and God will replace those evil desires with godly desires. And then those godly desires he will cause to come to pass in this life. So instead of wanting selfish things, instead of wanting our enemies to be crushed and those dark things get pushed out of our hearts, now we want the wisdom to be able to help our friend through a a struggle. And we desire that. A godly desire has been put in our heart. And so we ask God for wisdom and he gives it to us and we're able to help our friend. He gives us the desires of our heart. Let's pray and delight ourselves in God. And then let's ask him to give us the desires of our heart. I believe that there are too many people who do not delight in God because they have a misunderstanding of who God is. If you're not so sure about God, it's because you don't know him very well. God is good. All the time. He's merciful. He's loving. He's, he overlooks so many things. He's magnificent and wonderful and awesome. So if we make a true connection, not just religion, but a, a relationship with Almighty God, we will delight in our Lord. 
and our hearts will change and we'll get to walk into God's things. So let's pray together along those lines and then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. So Heavenly Father, we give you praise. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to delight in you more and more day by day. That we would know you, know your character, know that you're not a a God of giving stones and snakes, but you are a God that gives good gifts to your children. Let us delight in you, delight in your ways, know your mercy and your love and your grace and your beauty, your majesty. We honor you here. Lord, push the dark desires from our hearts. Let them just melt away and and fall to the side. And Lord, put godly desires, good desires in our hearts. And then, Lord, let us ask you for them to come to pass. Let us walk into your power knowing you want to bring those things into this reality. Give us the desires of our heart. We ask this of you. Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Father, I pray your peace would be upon us, that your joy would be in us. And Lord, that you would fill us with your love so much that it would overflow into our world, that there wouldn't be anyone that we interact with that would go unloved because we are loving them with the love that you have given to us. So, Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.